I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of God's holy and perfect word this morning. Uh, coming to us from the book of Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 20. We read verses 1 through 4. Again, let us come, let us hear the word of our God, let us be blessed by its reading. Again, Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the living and the true God. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you've given to us these words on this day by your providence. And God, we ask your blessings be upon them. And dear God, we pray once more for the power of your Holy Spirit. That you can continue to work in the lives of the saints. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. At this point in the Old Testament, this is about the twelfth time that Israel has had some kind of beef with the people of Ammon and the people of Moab. Back in the days of the wilderness, as Israel was making its way to the promised land, they had an opportunity to go to the land of Moab. And as they are getting ready to go through the land of Moab, the Moabites say, no, I don't think you're welcome. And if you go back and you read that story, it's interesting because the Moabites are supposed to help the Israelites. And you remember, why is it that the Moabites are supposed to help? Well, the Moabites are related to the Israelites. The Moabites are the uh, children of one of the most wickedest acts in the Old Testament. And even, even though this is true, the Lord God had commanded Moab to assist his covenant people. And they had not uh, done so. And they went out in battle against the people of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, we have this interesting verse. It tells us that the Lord, uh, through Moses, speaking unto the Israelites at the time of this battle with Moab, tells them, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So, in the passage today from 2 Chronicles, uh, this is not a new thing for the Israelites, uh, the Judites more specifically, to deal with. You know, this is not the first time that they've been in a pitched battle with Moab and that they have been on the smaller side of the equation. 
And what we see in the passage this morning is a repeat of what Moses told the Israelites back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. That there is nothing for them to fear from the Ammonites and the Moabites. And the answer is quite simply given to us because the Lord your God is with you. Quite simply, the answer is, not only is the Lord God with you, remember what He has done for you in the past. This is the Lord God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You remember how numerous the chariots and the horses of Pharaoh's army was? And you remember how you were backed onto the Red Sea. And there was no earthly hope. For you didn't even have weapons with which to fight. Remember how the Lord, through Moses, had opened the Red Sea and how you had walked on dry land and how the sea had returned itself back upon the armies of Pharaoh and they had been destroyed. Remember back in Deuteronomy 20, uh, Jehoshaphat, you can hear him saying, when we were fighting them again and the Lord God caused us to prevail. Again, why did the Lord cause us to prevail? Because He is the Lord, your God. And this is why we see in, in, in 2 Chronicles 20 that, that, that when uh, this battle is enjoined again, uh, that Jehoshaphat feared. Now again, we, we understand that Jehoshaphat's not afraid here. Again, this fear that, that is spoken of here is not the kind of fear of, of someone who is scared of the Ammonites and the Moabites. It's somebody who fears the Lord. Somebody who is resting and trusting in the strength of the Lord in the midst of these things. And how does Jehoshaphat go about preparing the Israelites for this battle against the Moabites and the Ammonites? Well, we see in verse 3 that his first action was to set himself to seek the Lord. Now, what, what does this mean that Jehoshaphat goes to seek the Lord? Well, again, this is one of these cases in the Bible where it's not rocket science. Right? This is not one of these things that we need a decoder ring to understand. Right? Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord's help. And how does he seek the Lord's help? Through prayer. This is the the constant testimony of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. When the people of God are in need, they seek the Lord in prayer. But notice something about how Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord in prayer in this passage. He sets himself. Think about this for a moment. He sets himself to seek the Lord. Again, when you think of this language here of setting himself, it just means he prepared himself to seek the Lord. Now, how are we to go about and do likewise? Again, what has Jehoshaphat taught us concerning these things? Well, again, Jehoshaphat understands that he is a sinner. Jehoshaphat understands that he has sinned before the Lord. Jehoshaphat understands that he has no right to come before the Lord and himself. And so what we see Jehoshaphat doing in preparing himself to come before the Lord is he is reminding himself of what Moses reminded the Israelites in Deuteronomy 20. That first of all, the Lord God is with you and the Lord God is the one who brought 
our people up from the land of Egypt. You see, what he's doing here is first of all remembering who God is and who the Moabites are and who the Ammonites are. That the Lord God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. That the Lord God is the one who has given His covenant promise to the Israelites. That it's God who called their father Abram out of the land of Ur, out of the land of Chaldees, and has given to them this land of promise. Likewise, in remembering this covenant promise that God had made to His people and to Him, again, He reminds Himself of the redemption that was won in Egypt. He reminds Himself that God has bought Him as an Israelite, as an individual, and as a nation. And he does this, again, not because there has to be some kind of order put into the decoder ring before he can talk to God, but because he wants himself to go before the Lord in a humble reliance upon the power of God. Now we think about that. What does it mean to be humble? Well, again, humility is a reminder of your own weakness. Humility is an understanding that I'm not as strong as I think I am. Humility is a reminder of the true nature of yourself. And of course, when we've seen over the last several chapters, Jehoshaphat has a real problem. Jehoshaphat has a real problem in heeding the commands of the Lord. Jehoshaphat has a problem when trouble comes before him, when trial is at his doorstep, of seeking the Lord's help. And we, we, we see that he's learned something from his prior sin. We see that he's learned something from his weakness, of his own failures. You know, way back in chapter 19, when he had married off his son uh, to uh, the daughter of wicked Ahab... Right? The problem there uh, was compounded by the fact that he did not heed the word of Micaiah. And that he had allowed the false teaching and the false words of the prophets of Ahab to cloud his judgment. And we, we, we saw, again, as many people died unnecessarily because of the fact that he did not set himself before the Lord. He did not come before the Lord with humility, with understanding of who God is, and again, most importantly, an understanding of who He is. It's a testimony that is, that is necessary for each one of us to consider. And when we think uh, and we go before the Lord in prayer, how are we coming before the Lord in prayer? And that doesn't mean that you have to spend 20 minutes, you know, kind of, you know, uh, taking every jot and tittle of your life and placing it before the Lord. Again, the understanding of what's happening here is the nature, again, of understanding yourself already who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we come to the Lord in prayer because of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. It's one of the reasons why David so often in the Psalms will begin Psalms by reminding himself of who He is. And one of the ways he does this is in Psalm 55, he says, He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. 
Again, David, as you hear him talk there, again, he begins with his understanding of his redemption in the Lord. And again, the fact that God is the one who has redeemed him from these particular things. And so again, when we see here in Jehoshaphat, again, as a man who has learned from his previous failures. We see a man who has learned from uh, the, the way in which God has brought judgment down upon him. And that's one of the, the blessings of the discipline of the Lord's hand. We don't often think of discipline as a blessing, but that's the purpose of discipline, right? It's to bring uh, someone or something or, or, or some activity that is in chaos or is in, uh, in, 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 in acting in some way outside the commands of the Lord and to bring them back into the fold, bring them back into the order of the wisdom of God. Again, that's the whole purpose of what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 5 when he sends the man who has been sleeping with his mother-in-law out of the church. Right? He tells the church to give him over to Satan. And it's not because uh, you know, Paul hates the man or Paul wants to see the man destroyed, but he knows that what this man needs is to be disciplined. And one of the blessings of that particular story is we see in 2 Corinthians that the man has been restored to the family of Corinth. He's been restored back to the people of God. And we see him being used in that church. All because, again, Paul had disciplined him. Here with Jehoshaphat, we see again the fruits of God's discipline on his heart, on his life. Again, when faced with another battle, with another enemy, with another challenge before uh, his soul, right? he sets himself before the Lord, he seeks the Lord, and he asks the Lord for help. And he understands that he does not have the strength of his own heart, the strength of his mind, the strength of his soul, the strength of anything to fight this battle. Right? It's only this covenant God, it's only the Lord Jehovah who is going to win this battle against uh, the enemies of His kingdom. And of course, this is a lesson that Israel forgets over and over again. And one of the kind of chief ways we see this in uh, the uh, Old Testament is in the wars that take place in the book of Joshua. We see in Joshua that as long as the people of God are seeking the Lord's help, as long as they are seeking the Lord's strength, the power of His hand, they are winning victories over the enemies of God. But one of the key ways we see this again is at the battle at Ai. You know, fresh off the, the victory at Jericho, they look at this small village and they think, well, we can handle this. We'll let God take the day off. And we'll take care of this ourselves. And of course, we know how that ended up. Right? God gave them over to the hand of their enemies and allowed them to lose, allowed them to be destroyed. And we see Joshua picking up pretty immediately on the lesson that the Lord had laid before them. That because they had not sought the Lord, had not set themselves before the Lord, that the Lord had given them over into their sin, had given them over into the destruction at the hands of the people of Ai. 
And then we see in Joshua that when Joshua understands this, after he seeks repentance, after he has reorganized things, right, we see them as they, they, they set up the tabernacle and Joshua seeks the power of God. He seeks the wisdom of God and God gives them victory over that same city. Now, Jehoshaphat has learned. He's learned from what has taken place. And so now, as he sets himself before the Lord, as he seeks the Lord's help, we see something else that he does in the midst of this testimony. Again, we see in verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, we see something else, again, that Jehoshaphat has learned. Again, he's learned that he cannot do this in his own strength. He can't do it by himself. Right? He needs the nation of Judah to gather together with him to accomplish this work. And the reason why he does this is because he understands that though he is king over Judah, that doesn't make him somehow different than all the other Judahites. Right? This is a battle that they must be engaged in together. Now, why does he choose fasting as the means to do this? Well, again, think about what fasting is. You know, fasting is more than just a period of time where you don't eat. Right? There's a lot more that goes into fasting than just ceasing from intaking of calories. If you, if you fast and that's all you do, well, it's an empty gesture. There's no point in that. Right? It's one of the things that the Lord Jesus condemns the Pharisees for. You know, they love to tell people that they were fasting. Right? They love to tell people about all the righteous things that they were doing. Right? They, they love to go out in the city streets and show people, look how wonderful I am. Look what I'm doing for the Lord. Of course, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Right? They're all pretty on the outside, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. And what fasting means in the Scriptures is a setting aside all of the worldly labors, setting aside all of the worldly activities, setting aside everything that we have going on, and spending time in reflection upon the Lord. Setting aside the, the, the things that, that are going on from day to day. And spending that, that, that time where you are not eating. You know, reconnecting in a sense with uh, the Lord Jesus and with uh, Jehovah God. And being reminded of all the ways that God has blessed us. And all the ways that God is going to bless us. And all the ways that God has forgiven us of our sins. And all of the things that we have. Now, this is what the fasting that Jehoshaphat is talking about is happening in Judah. You know, this is what we see in the way in which Jehoshaphat is showing us that there has been fruit to his repentance. You know, he has set aside uh, his own kingship to go before the Lord. And to seek His face and to seek His understanding and to be uh, blessed uh, through this quiet time before the Lord. And again, He's not doing it just in uh, the name of Himself, but He's calling all Judah to do this. And then in verse 4, what do we hear? 
We hear that all Judah joined together with him to ask help from the Lord. And so this is a wonderful thing. This is, should cause us to rejoice, to, to, to shout thanksgivings unto the Lord uh, that Judah has obeyed this lawful order of the king. Well, remember what I told the kids about that old saying. Right? You can lead a horse to water, uh, but if you try to make him drink, you'll just drown him. And then a dead horse is no good to anyone. Well, again, when this call goes out, the people of Judah gladly join in. And how is it that they have come to this point in their life? Well, remember what took place in chapter 19. When Jehoshaphat sent out the judges and the Levites and the priests unto them, what were they supposed to do? Right? They were to go to, uh, to the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and tell the judges, take heed to what you are doing. If you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. What we see is, is that Jehoshaphat has built the foundation for this day. And he's built the foundation for this day, not by walking around with a big stick and whipping the Judites into obedience. What he's done is go around through the power that he had as king and command the judges to teach the people about the love of the Lord. To teach them about the redemption that had been won for them in, uh, in Egypt. To remind them of the grace that God had shown to them from generation to generation. That this same God who had called their father Abram, who had walked uh, with Enoch, who had walked uh, with uh, Isaac, and had been uh, with Joseph in Egypt, this same God was with them. And what does this God require of them? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is why Judah has, has risen up in obedience to the lawful command of Jehoshaphat. Because he has sought not to teach them to follow the law for the law's sake, but he sought to teach them to follow the law because they love the Lord their God. And they want nothing else but to show the Lord their God that they love Him. Again, not through uh, some kind of man-made religious act, uh, not through some kind of, uh, of, of seemingly uh, beautiful thing, but only in the way that God had commanded them to do so. Because what this shows is a reliance upon the wisdom of God. What this shows is a reliance upon the strength of God, the power of God. Again, think of how the world would look at this situation. You know, if you're gearing up for battle... Is it a smart thing not to eat for a couple days? If you're gearing up for battle, is it wise to leave your homes and gather together in prayer in an undefended valley? Well, you know, I'm not sure that uh, uh, that's exactly how you know, you know, Clausewitz would have drawn it up in you know, his German textbooks in the 19th century, but that's not exactly how the world operates. Right? The world gathers together and, and feasts when it's get, getting ready to fight. 
Right? The world gathers together and, 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 and does all of these things in order to, to, to falsely build up a bravado. But here we see the people of God making themselves vulnerable in the face of the world. We see the people of God gathering together trusting in the ways that God had commanded for them to seek His face. And again, this is a difficult thing sometimes for us. It's, it's one of those things that you know, we, we have trouble with. You know, trusting in the ways of the Lord. That the ways of the Lord are wiser than the ways of the world. Because again, think about something that we sang in, in, the, in the Bible song. You know, we look around and we see the, the power of wicked men. We, we look around, we see the wealth of wicked men. We see all of the worldly blessings that, that, that evil people seem to be gathering. And we wonder, how is it that God allows these evil people to have all these things? We can think back to what the psalmist said in the Bible song. What's going to happen in the day of judgment to all of those things? They're going to amount to nothing. When Bill Gates stands at the day of judgment, he can throw all the dollar bills he wants to at the Lord Jesus, but what currency will they have in that day? It'll be worth nothing. All of the things that he's worked all his life for will amount to nothing in the day of judgment. But again, that's what the world and that's what our culture is teaching us is godly and it is good and is what we should be striving for. All of these worldly blessings, all of these worldly things, all of these worldly material goods. But what do we see in the scriptures here in a righteous Judah? We see the people of God gathering together to seek the Lord's power. We see the people of God fasting. We see the Lord's people crying out to the Lord to deliver them from the enemies of God. And we'll see uh, next week as we continue in chapter 20 that God is going to give them this victory. He's going to grant them uh, this uh, vital protection against the enemies of God. Well, let's think some more about this. Think about the nature of our own salvation. And what was the world saying to Jesus as he is walking towards Calvary? The world is shouting at him, if you're truly the Son of God, then call the angels to come and to save you. Right? If you truly are the King of the Jews, why have you allowed yourself to be crucified? Again, the world looks at the weakness of Christ and sees weakness. The world looks at the wisdom of the Son of God coming to die for our sins as foolishness. But remember what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, on the day of judgment, what are we going to stand there with? On the day of judgment, we're going to stand there with the righteousness of our Savior. We're going to stand there with uh, the blessings of the victory that Christ won at the cross. We're going to stand there and have the only thing that matters. 
The only thing that is of any value in this world. And that's the, the, the beauty of what our Savior has done for us. Again, that He has given His life for His people. And that He has been raised from the dead for our justification. Again, we have been declared righteous in the court of God because of this glorious victory that has been won against the enemies of God. And again, think about who the enemies of God are. We're the enemies of God. Right? We're the ones in rebellion against the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Right? We're the ones who are standing in the face of the Creator and saying we have the wisdom, we have the power, we have the strength. And the Lord God has died for, his, for, for the enemies who sought His own destruction. And this is given to us in, in, in such a beautiful vision when we see the words of uh, the Roman soldier. You remember what Jesus had just said before He died? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what does the Roman centurion say? Truly, this man was the Son of God. This man who had nailed Jesus to the cross moments before was now proclaiming that He was the Savior of earth. And what we see in, in this passage in 2 Chronicles 20 is, is a Jehoshaphat who understands that victory is only by the hand of God. And it's only by setting aside all of the things that distract us from this victory. Setting aside all the things that the world says is good and is holy and is righteous. And resting and trusting in what God has blessedly revealed to us in His holy word. Again, all these things that the world believes is weakness. All these things that the world scoffs at. All these things that the world thinks is ridiculous. The Lord God has told us that these are the things that have power. These are the things that we can rest and trust in. This is why we are to fast. And most especially why we are to gather together for this work. Because we can't fight this battle on our own. No matter how much we try. No matter how much uh, we may uh, think we can. And this battle is won by the body of Christ. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, if any part of the body thinks it's more important than any other, well, it's lost the plot. It's forgotten the whole purpose why God has brought us together. And we need the foot and the hand and the tongue and the eyes and the mouth. We need one another to win this victory over the enemies of the flesh. And if we continue to try and seek our own glory and seek the things of this world and seek uh, the, the honor of ourselves, uh, then the enemies will continue to win. And again, that's the, 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 the wisdom of what we see here in what Jehoshaphat has done in preparing Israel for this day. In preparing them to set their eyes before the Lord, to gather together, to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this day, let us remember that we are united together in Christ. That we're united together by the love of our Savior. That we're united together as brothers and sisters adopted into this family of God. 
And that we need one another. And that we need to rest and trust in one another. And that we need to find that peace which is beyond all understanding. That peace which comes alone from our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle John says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. So let us rest and trust in our King. And rest and trust in the ways that He has called us to seek Him and to set ourselves before Him. Amen. Let us pray.